for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Let's just pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for this, this book that was penned so many years ago, and yet, because it was inspired by you and not written as it were, out of men's hearts and minds. It speaks to every generation. It speaks to us today. And it's a word that can, yeah, uh, speak into our lives, into our church at this moment in time. And we pray, Holy Spirit, you just bless this word to us as we dig into it this morning. We thank you for the story, and we thank you for our story. And we pray you'll help us to hear how all of this relates to our story and how to respond to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A little bit boomy at the moment. Um, Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Well, this is the fifth in our series in uh, the Acts, in the book of Acts, and I hope and do pray that you're reading the book and getting something of the flavor of it in your own uh, devotional time as well. Uh, Fifth in the series on, on kingdom advance, therefore, and we are called to be a kingdom people. We're called to be preaching the good news of the kingdom and seeing that kingdom advance in our own generation. Last week's message, it built upon on chapter 3. And chapter 3 is a, a staggering chapter where you have that scenario where Peter and John are going up to pray, um, which was their custom. And I, I hope that you have a custom of praying. And they were going up to pray. And as they went up to pray, there was this man who had uh, been lame for, for so many, many years. And uh, in fact, he'd been lame for 40 years, as we discover in, in chapter 4. And, uh, and, and he, he's there. He's been there every day for such a long time, and he's, he's begging. And people have walked by him every day for so many weeks, so many months, so many years. And they've seen him, and they've, they've probably given him money, or they've passed him by. And, and on this particular occasion, Peter and John are walking in, and uh, again, he asks alms of them. And, and uh, they say, well, we, we haven't got anything in that way to give you, but what we have, we can give you. And that was, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And, and he had the best gift he had ever received in 40 years. And suddenly, this man stands up. And not only does he stand up, it says he, he ends up leaping and walking and praising God. And you can just imagine the, the people on that day sort of looking at this. They've, they've walked this by this guy for so many weeks and so many months and so many years. And, and suddenly now, in that moment of time, he's, he's up on his feet. And not only is he up on his feet, but he's jumping up and down. He's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. Yay! Eh? What a story! And it gets people's attention. And, and so a crowd gathers and, and, and Peter and John say, look, this, this, is, this is not us. We haven't done this. We are, we're just humans like the rest of you. Uh, but I can tell you who has done that, and that is Jesus, the one whom you, you, you sent to the cross. And, and then he, he preaches the gospel to them and he unpacks all of that to them. And as a result of that, there's a whole commotion going on. And you, you come into, into chapter 4 and you find that such the commotion is such that the authorities have noticed what is taking place. And suddenly they are they're looking at this situation. We've got to do something about it. So uh, here we are. We're going to read from chapter 4, verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests the captain of the temple guard, some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. 
They arrested them, and, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until the morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed, so the number of believers now totaled about 5,000 men. That is not counting the women and the children. And the next day, the council of all the rulers and the elders and the teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas and John and Alexander and other relatives of the high priest. And they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power and whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you uh, and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one who re referred to in the scriptures where it says the stone that you builders rejected, he has now become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven uh, by which men must be saved, people must be saved. And the members of the council, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And, but since they could see the man who had been there healed standing right there among them, there was nothing that the council could say. And so they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. So you have this staggering miracle, you have this crowd, you have the, the preaching of the gospel, and then you have the response of the authorities, and particularly the religious authorities. And the first thing that we want to note in this passage of Scripture is kingdom advance stirs up opposition. The very nature of the kingdom of God is counter to the kingdoms of this world. And so kingdom advance stirs up opposition. And we may find opposition as we share Jesus, as we proclaim this good news of the kingdom of God. It's the, the first indication of opposition, the first indication of persecution, and especially, especially religious persecution. The next few chapters in Acts actually will make clear that the, the systems of the world, its, its thinking, its, its motivation, its values, are opposed to the lordship of, of Jesus and the values of the kingdom of God. They are diametrically opposed, so there will be a clash of systems. And we see some of that in the news reports. You go and look at various news reports from around the world, you see something of that and probably it's exemplified particularly in places like China, where at the moment there are churches that are being pulled down because they do not like the message of the kingdom. The authorities in this instance, they were, they were very disturbed that they were teaching, we notice there, the resurrection of the dead, something that had very clear implications. The, the Sadducees and, uh, and, and, and the um, others were kind of okay with a spiritual resurrection. They, they could live with that but they were definitely not certain about a physical one. And particularly a physical one relating to somebody who they had encountered and who they knew of in this particular way. Uh, they in many ways had tolerated the idea that maybe there could be some kind of resurrection, but certainly not a physical one. And, but this that was right in front of them at this moment in time was not some vague theoretical hope that you might have in some kind of spiritual resurrection. And I've, I've come across Christians who've had weird ideas of what resurrection is, what the afterlife is. 
It's like we're all spooks in heaven. I can remember on one, one particular occasion, many years ago, it's like we're all spooks in heaven without any bodies, and we're, ooh, you know, that kind of thing. And I think if that's the type of picture you have of heaven, I don't blame you for not looking forward to being there because it kind of, that doesn't switch me on either. We are made body, soul, and spirit. And so this was not about some vague theoretical hope for the future, but the belief that the reality of the future had broken into the present through the resurrection. Wow, I mean, that is staggering, isn't it? That the reality of the future had broken into the present in Jesus Christ through his death and through his resurrection. Suddenly they were confronted with something that they had not planned on. It's interesting also tonight to note that just here and, uh, and, and neither later do we find the counselor attempting to disprove the physical resurrection of Jesus. And one can be sure that if they could, they would have, but they couldn't. And if they could have done that, how quickly this kingdom movement would have dissolved and vanished. But there was something here, there was a truth here that they could not counter. A truth far greater than what they knew. Jesus had risen from the dead. And we were singing that earlier, weren't we? Death is defeated. The king is alive. And that was, that was what impacted that first generation who heard the gospel. This man, Jesus, this, this man who lived among them, had gone down into death. They were sure of that. But as surely as he'd gone down into death, he had risen from the dead as well. And it, that, that testimony, that that interaction with him had so impacted their lives, they just could not keep silent. So the only thing that they could do was arrest them and to seek to silence them. In what way can we shut these people up? And, and so a religious council was convened. And, and it was kind of a tricky situation. The miracle was indeed proof that Jesus was alive because they had, they had asked you know, how, how did this happen? And, and the answer was, it was Jesus. It was through the power of his name. And uh, so, so they, they, they're working out, how, how do we respond to the, the dynamic of this situation? How do we respond to the testimony of these people? That, that people are, are responding and believing the gospel, and they're trusting this Jesus, whom they're saying is alive. And so they convene this council. And so right at the start, we want to be aware that the enemy doesn't like the gospel. He doesn't like the king that we proclaim, and he will do everything in his power to obstruct it if he possibly can. And we should not be surprised. And you look at it right from the beginning of the early church, right through church history, time and time again, the confrontation with the powers that be, confrontation with, with secular powers, confrontation with religious powers. Uh, you know, the, the, there is that element where we are, we're living on a battlefield and we need to be aware of that. And that was coming out as we were praying together earlier on before the meeting, that we are in a battle and we need to be prepared for the battle. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We need to put on the whole armor of God and we need to be able to fight a good fight. We need to be fighters and not quitters in this generation in which we live because the enemy will seek to sap the energy, the enthusiasm from us. He will seek to, to, to rob us of our faith. And it may be that you are experiencing some area of discouragement in the small battle that you're involved in, but nevertheless it's a skirmish that is part of this big battle that we are caught up in where the enemy is trying just to rob you of your faith. 
And I want to encourage you this morning to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's not in you, it is in him that you'll find the answer. If you start looking into yourself, you find yourself being drawn downwards and, and more and more discouraged and depressed. So we're called to be fighters and not quitters. But the, the kingdom advances. When the kingdom advances, it stirs up opposition. Secondly, kingdom advance requires being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that the Amplified Version inserts that just there in brackets, that Peter was filled with power by the Holy Spirit. In this moment in time, he needed a power that was beyond himself, something other than himself to be able to, to, to witness to Jesus, to be able to, to make this defense. And so Peter and John, they, they were not frightened, they were not phased by this particular situation, but rather filled with the Spirit, they confront it. They're not pushed back, they step forward. They're not on their back foot, they're on the front foot. It takes a moment just to, to remember Peter. You know, Peter was this man who, who thought in and, of, in and of himself, he would never ever let Jesus down. Oh, Jesus, I'll always be there for you. I'll, I'll stand up for you no matter what. I'm never going to let you down. And, and then a, a few hours later, he, he's cowering in fear in case he's found out as one of those who's a, a lover of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, who believes in him, who's committed to him. He's cowering in fear. And, 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 and then when he's, he's found and he's confronted, he's actually saying, no, I don't even know the man. Not even heard of him. I'm not a follower of his. You know, so the weakness of the flesh there. And that's where we can get without the power of the Holy Spirit. But now when you look at this chapter, he's a, he's a different man. He's a man filled with God. He's a man filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that makes all the difference. And now in the face of their, their violence, in the face of their threats, he's, he's not cowering away, but with a boldness that isn't, isn't his own. He's, he's standing up in front of them and he's, he's pointing the finger at them. He stands tall and he says to them, he says, look, you guys, he says, you are the ones that put Jesus to death. You are, you are the ones who did this. Just like in the previous chapter, he blamed the crowd. You are the reason why Jesus died. You are the ones who, if you like to use modern terminology, you voted for his death. And, and, and you are the ones, therefore, who crucified him. And now he's saying to the authorities, you are the ones who sent this man to his death. You are guilty of his death. And, and then he says to them, he says, look, by the power of this man's name, this, this guy is healed. He has experienced this tremendous healing. And, and 40 years is a, a, a big word in Bible terms because it's about generations and so on. So the fact this guy had not been healed for 40 years was saying something powerful. And so here he is. He's, he's been in this condition for 40 years and suddenly he's well. How come this guy's well? We have never ever seen anything like this. It is through the power that is in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Healed by the powerful name of Jesus, verse 10, and there is salvation through no other name. Wow, that's something, isn't it? And that's the gospel that we preach. That's the gospel that we are called to share, both in personal witness and in uh, more dynamic proclamation. So what had changed, Peter, then? It was the filling of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit's filling that made all the difference. I was sharing with someone recently how 
uh, as, as, a, as a Christian in my first place of work. I, 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 I worked quite a lot with my boss, and he would ask me about what I would believe and, I, and what I did at the weekend, and I would say, they believe this, and they did that, and so on. And he would say to me, he'd say, and he was an agnostic, and he would say, what, what do you believe? I want to know what you believe. And I just didn't have that courage. I was, I was timid. I was, I, was, I was the sort of person who would wait to be spoken to rather than speak to anybody else. I, I was just like, little old me, you know, just let me live in my world and don't interrupt it. And, and, but he, was, he would confront me. And, but then I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I couldn't wait for the questions. You know, because when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I had a courage that was no longer my own. I had a certainty about my faith that made a difference. And I, every opportunity, whenever he, we, I used to work with him and with others, and I loved that opportunity of just being able to share Jesus and unpack the gospel. So we need, to, brothers and sisters, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you this morning, how, again, how open to you, uh, how open to the Spirit are you in your daily life? It's one thing to be open to the Spirit on a Sunday morning, that's great, but how open to the Spirit in your daily life are you? Do you depend on your own strength? Do you depend on your own resources? Are you, or are you looking to Holy Spirit saying, Holy Spirit, fill me for this situation. Give me strength, give me power to serve your purposes. And it, it was that that made all the difference for Peter, being filled with power through the Holy Spirit. Luke, the, the writer of Acts, uses the Greek verb uh, for filled 13 times in his gospel and nine times in Acts. And in the Aorist tense, this verse stresses the act of being filled, usually on a specific occasion for a purpose. And, and, and by implication, therefore, it's a, a momentary thing in that occasion for that reason. And so we can be filled with many things. Uh, Luke describes people as being filled, for example, with fear or rage or wonder and amazement and jealousy and confusion. And in no case would you say that all of those things were a permanent state of mind, but they, you, we can be filled with them. I wonder this morning what you are filled with. What are you filled with? What is that thing that fills your heart, that fills your mind, that has a governing factor over your life? When we read scripture here, there's this exhortation that comes through time and again to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. How many times I've quoted that one to the devil when he's tried to mess with my brain. And I've gone to him with the scripture and I say, God has not given me a spirit of fear. He has given me a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. That's where I choose to live. Yeah, and sometimes we, brothers and sisters, we have to make those choices. Heaven just doesn't fall on us and we are now living in this glorious, wonderful life. We have to make choices that align with God and with his purposes. We have to make choices that align us with being spirit-filled. So spirit-empowering comes through time and time again. The promise was an endowment of power from on high, a baptism of power. You can see it in 4, 8 and 31 and 9 verse 17 and 13 verse 9 and you can go on and you can think of Paul's exhortation in Ephesians. Be, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's more than just an exhortation, it's a command to be filled with the Spirit of the living God. How open to the Spirit are you? Is the Spirit displacing those, those things that are of your old nature, where you want to hold on to things, for example, like rage and bitterness and unforgiveness and impatience and all sorts of things? Is the Spirit displacing those things, or are you holding on to them? The work of Spirit is indeed large. Number three, 
Kingdom advance requires confidence in the message that we proclaim. And if there's anything that the enemy has sought to undermine in our generation, it is the message that we proclaim. It is to try and rob us of the, the reality of who Jesus is and, and his power and purposes. And we, again, we shouldn't be surprised. This is part of the battle that we are involved in. But there's a call here to have confidence in this message that we proclaim, that, to realize that Jesus is indeed the answer. And the problem at the time is that sometimes the world is asking the wrong question. It doesn't realize what the right question is. And at times we encounter the world asking the right question. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Not how can I have perhaps a better life? How can I have more money in my bank, etc.? So the council were somewhat taken aback because these were ordinary, ordinary men with no special training, and yet they spoke the word with boldness, with an absolute confidence in the message that they proclaimed. And, and these were, if you remember, you've got to understand that they, they were being held uh, by the authorities. They were in the presence of these authorities, those who were were understood to be educated, understood to, to know about all of these things, and so, so that they're the knowledgeable ones. And, uh, and, and suddenly it's like Peter stands up with equal authority, or actually with greater authority, and he speaks to them the truth. He has confidence in the message that he proclaims. So now Peter is holding them to account uh, they are the ones who are in court. You uh, have crucified this man. And it's through the power of his name that this, this man is healed uh, amongst you. So Peter and John knew in whom they had believed. My question perhaps for us today is, do we know the one in whom we believed? Do, are we fully grounded in the gospel? Do we understand the, the dynamics of the gospel? Because is it important that we do? Because not only do we need the empowering of the Spirit, we need to know the truth. We'll not be able to pro proclaim the truth fully if we do not know that truth. To speak with boldness, then, we need to know and have confidence in that word that was once for all delivered to the saints. When we look at the world around us, the reality is that humanity has not changed in 2,000 years. For all the education, for all the social advancement, for all the technological, technological advancement, etc., the nature of humanity has not changed. At the core of man, there is still that rebellion. There is still that sense that man has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He is cut off from God. Man is still in need of a saviour as he ever was. The person you work with still needs a saviour as much as they did 2,000 years ago. The person in your family still needs a saviour as much as they did 2,000 years ago. Humanity has not changed. The message that we proclaim is not a philosophy, it's not a denomination, it's not a movement, it's a person. And that's important to remember. We point people to Jesus. Not to, not to church, not to philosophy, not to a denomination. As great as some of those things may be, good, but we point them to Jesus and say, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the one who saves. And, and we notice in, Paul, in Peter's uh, unfolding of things that he says Jesus is a totally unique saviour. There is no other like Jesus. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. That's a word that's not like today. 
And people want to be able to put Christianity, they want to be able to put the gospel alongside every other faith and say that they are all equal and they all have an equal measure of getting to the end result. The fact is they don't. You can't have lots of equal truths that are contradictory to one another. There is only one truth, one overarching truth, and that is Jesus is the only way by which anybody can be saved. No other name under heaven. No other name under heaven. One of the encouraging pieces about this, this particular passage is, is education and social status are no barrier to God using us. <laughs> it's knowing Jesus, knowing the gospel, being filled with the Spirit means that he can use each one of us. You don't have to go and get degrees at colleges, though those things can be useful for, for various aspects of life and ministry. You don't need them. You know, we need to know God. Those who know him will be strong. They will do exploits. Hallelujah. And that's the staggering nature of church history. Go and read church history and see, you read how God used some people who were totally uneducated. Think of the story of Smith Wigglesworth, who had no education, couldn't read, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and he knew Jesus, and he knew the Word, and, he, and oh boy, what an impact he had on his generation. So the Spirit poured out on all flesh is able to transcend our lack. Hallelujah. That, that, that's encouraging for each one of us this morning. You may be just a baby Christian. You may be just started, but you have the same access, you have the same rights, you have the same power as someone who's been a Christian for 60 years. Hallelujah. <laughs> we just need to live there. We need to live in that and stop letting the enemy put the boot in. Kingdom of God's number four comes through them being with Jesus. They recognize that they had been with Jesus. I wonder what that looked like. But in some way or other, they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. Something, there was something about them. Something of Jesus had rubbed off on them. And I find this challenging. Do I know enough of Jesus for something of Jesus to rub off on me? Do people encounter too much of me in me? Do you know what I mean? Too much of Richard in me? Or do they, are they touched by the fragrance of Christ in my life? That's what I would like. But it's a question I ask myself. And so they had been with Jesus. Something of Jesus had rubbed, rubbed off on them. Do people know that we have been with Jesus, that you have been with Jesus? How are we demonstrating Jesus to others? It's a sad factor that there are people, many people, even in Christian circles, who say, I love Jesus, but I do not love the church. That's not good. People should love both Jesus and his church. The trouble is, very often what they mean by that is they don't like some of the people in church. And some people in church have not treated them in Jesus' way. So in some senses, it's understandable. We need, in that sense, to be a far better witness. We need to encounter Jesus too corporately. And to know what that means to be like Jesus together. Number five, kingdom advance means engaging in prayer. <laughs> the elite's honor was at stake in this situation. And so what do they decide to do? They, they realize there's a, a whole crowd of believers who've trusted Jesus. They, they realize that there are many others who are probably halfway between. They realize that they're going against the crowd. And, 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 and so they dare not 
shut them away for good. So what they decide to do is they decide to tell them to be quiet. (laughs) They tell them to be quiet. Look, you know, yeah, this man's been healed. That's, That's great. Yeah, lives have been touched. Yeah, that's great, you know, yeah. But, hey... Just tone it down. Just, just be quiet. Don't, don't speak any more in this name. Don't proclaim him anymore. And, uh, but as you read there in verse 23, I just love it, isn't it? <laughs> so, they, you know, the authorities have threatened them. But Peter and John are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, uh, there they are at the, being silenced at the end of that, that section in 21-22. And uh, with further, threatened with further arrest. And as soon as they were freed, in verse 23, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers lifted up their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke a long time ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste time with futile plans? The kings of the earth, they prepared for battle. The the rulers rage, the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand. I love it. You know, they've just healed somebody by the powerful name of Jesus. And they're saying, come on, Lord, do it again. You know, stretch out your hand uh, with, with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What a prayer meeting. I mean, what would we have done? We would, we, the likelihood is we would have, we would have gathered, a, a, a gathered together and said, look, oh boy, you know, what do we do about this? And we would have gone round and round in discussion, you know, circling it in many ways, looking at it from different directions, and coming to some kind of, well, maybe they, you know, we, we just need to tone it down a little bit. Maybe we just need to just recognize some opposition here. We don't really want to stir them up anymore, do we? So, so let's just come about. No, they didn't do any of that. It says they prayed. They prayed. And they prayed with power. It was bold praying. Brothers and sisters, I want to say this morning, I think so often ours is frequently too timid and too small. Too timid and too small. When you look at New Testament praying, it's bold. It's, 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 it's going out there and seeking God's purpose. They, and as they pray, the building that they're praying in, it shakes, and it, which is an evidence of the presence of God. And again, it says that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. The purpose being, again, to go out and preach the word with boldness. Let's stand, shall we? The band like to come up. Wow. It's a loaded passage. There's so much there. And as, as we respond to God in worship... Perhaps you just need to be open to the spirit afresh this morning. You need to be filled again. You need to come and say, Lord, that's me. I'm depending on my own strength and I need the fullness of your spirit.
Maybe you just need to come close to Jesus. You've lost sight of him this morning. And you just need to just regather and let your heart, your thoughts, your mind, and just draw near to Jesus and let him just minister to you. So you catch afresh something from his heart. So that the fragrance of Christ might fill your life, that you may be the fragrance of plant Christ at home and in your workplace, etc. Maybe you need boldness in, in sharing Jesus and it's not looking in yourself, it's just looking to the Holy Spirit and being filled again. You come, fill me with power, O oh God. Holy Spirit can fill us with many things, with power, with joy, with peace, etc., etc. You need to be filled with power this morning. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill me, I pray.